It's me, say moi, Chelsea Fairless, and what's your name again? Lauren. Anyway, um, how's your week been? It's been fine. I feel like this has been a really uneventful week. I don't even have cute banter for the top of the show, really. No D-list celebrities that you saw? I did see Andrew Rannells at Beaches on Santa Monica, and I saw Lawrence Fishburne in his car. Which is pretty good. It was great, too, because neither of them were wearing masks, which which was refreshing. It's a lot harder to notice celebrities when everyone's wearing masks. But I got, like, full face. Not that they're anti-maskers. That's not what we're trying no, to say. No, I mean, Lawrence Fishburne was in his car. I could just see him through his windshield. And Andrew Rannells was just at an outdoor restaurant. Did I tell you that I was at an outdoor restaurant and uh, I was with my dog, which is this tiny white Pomeranian that just doesn't look real. And a person came up (laughs) to the dog and was like, can I say hello? Massless. And it was like, okay. And I put my mask back on and he came back three separate times massless to greet my dog and started kissing my dog about the head. Rude. And weird. You don't know that my dog isn't going to bite you. He's not. He's the most beta boy of beta boy existence. Also, your dog could have dog coronavirus for all he knows. Well, I, if he's approaching maskless <laughs> three separate times, I don't think he cares. Maybe he's double vaxxed. Maybe he doesn't give a fuck. I don't know why I'm defending this asshole. He's clearly a creep. Anyway. anyway. Chelsea, did you see the little Nas X video? Wait, what? <laughs> no, tell me about it. Of course I saw it. <laughs> This past week in pop culture definitely belonged to Lil Nas X, who dropped his highly anticipated video for his new song. What is it called? Montero, Call Me By Your Name. Which is his actual first name. It's not Lil Nas X. I didn't know if you know that. (laughs) The video had a lot of religious imagery that was seemingly engineered to piss off Jerry Falwell types. I don't know, Lauren, you you went to Catholic school, right? What do you think about all this? I was raised Catholic. I went to Episcopalian school. But yeah, it has a lot of, it's essentially a biblical allegory where little Nas X is seemingly an Eve type figure who's tempted by the snake, but then the snake who's also him. The snake who's also him. And then he goes to some sort of marble justice hall that look like the future world in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which just had a bunch <laughs> of hymns dressed seemingly as like denim clad ruby rods. If you remember the Chris Tucker character from The Fifth Element, like that obviously Oh yeah, was. that was on the mood board for sure. Yeah. And then he takes a pole down to hell, which will get into that <laughs> separate controversy on a different side of the outrage spectrum and then twerks on the devil and then snaps the devil's neck and then becomes the devil? Here's what I don't understand about the conservative outcry, which is he kills the devil. Isn't that good for you guys? Yeah. Shouldn't they be like pro the devil being executed? One would think. Obviously, these people didn't watch the video. They just saw a couple of stills and got mad. Yeah, it's very much engineered that way. But I think... I'll probably forget about the first half of the video, but I think I will always remember the Satan laugh 
lap dance. It's very visually stunning. That's why the controversy between FKA Twigs and Little Nas X is so puzzling because the pole dance sequence is like the least important sequence of the video. So what we're talking about is... Well, it is very visually specific though. It's not... The the, the videos are very different videos. I had never seen the video for FKA Twigs' song Cellophane. I did we watch should, it. Yeah, we should go back and explain that. As soon as the video came out, people pointed out the similarities between FKA Twig's cellophane video, which involves a very similar pastel celestial pole dancing CGI interlude in both videos. And then it came out that Little Nas X's team did initially approach Andrew Thomas Wong, who directed FKA Twig's cellophane video to maybe direct this video, and then talks broke down. And then also both videos shared the same pole choreographer. That's very shady behavior. Twigs and Little Nas X had a phone call this week. They each posted about it. And in Little Nas X's statement, he says that he was not aware of how close the videos were. Is it possible that Little Nas X was unaware of FK Twigs' cellophane video? I think it's definitely possible. I mean, even though Lil Nas X has a directing, a co-directing credit on this video, this ultimately falls on the director of the video. I mean, I always think it's like it really ridiculous. It seems like his team came up with the, the concept. Obviously. I, I mean, that's always the case. Whenever... Whenever this happens, whenever there's a plagiarism incident in a music video, the artist automatically gets blamed, but ultimately it's the director or the creative director who is compiling the references, creating these mood boards, creating these decks that define what the video will ultimately look like. And it's like, I don't think Beyonce should have to like reverse image search the entire deck. Anyway, both videos are incredible. I, and I thought it was nice that in Twig's statement, she thanked the sex workers and strippers for providing the physical language to make both videos possible, which is... Are the sex workers coming for Lil Nas X? Oh, that I haven't seen. Because they definitely came for Twig's. And by they, I mean some sex workers online. I don't mean all sex workers. This is sort of like... I, have you noticed that Daily Mail is the biggest uh, culprits of this, but the, they will engineer an outrage by like four tweets Mm -hmm. they'll just like see four separate tweets where it's like someone's mad about this and then it'll be like outrage over and then they show you their quote proof and it's it's four people this whole video is engineered for outrage between the plagiarism and the religious stuff it's like it's too much we haven't really got gotten into this yet but from a gay visibility standpoint it is so major like i want to live in a world where I can see a gay black man give Satan a lap dance. You know, I want little kids to be able to see that. I think this is the future that John Waters always imagined and (laughs) has kind of been working for. Totally. It's like we need less rich white gay guys with kids and more just like depraved homosexuals. So that's not the only controversy with the video. In a true mark of genius cross promotion, at the same time that this video dropped, there was a limited edition drop of these 666 Satan shoes, which were a Nike Air Max 97, redesigned by the streetwear company Mischief. Okay, I hate this, by the way. I just want to say that Mischief is spelled without the vowels, which is my least favorite millennial branding trope. Oh yeah, this company Mischief, I feel like sits at the next of like Cooper Union and fuckboy aesthetic. 
to me, it sits at the nexus of if the fat Jew was more into net art and like wanted to parlay his success into a streetwear brand. It's kind of like they do a mix of products that people actually buy, like pipes that are shaped like rubber chickens. But then they do these kind of stunts like, oh, we're making Birkenstocks out of Birkin bags. Yeah, but did you see that some of their drops are just digital? One of the things they did was allowed people at work to watch Netflix by making it just look like they were watching a conference call instead. That's very cool, but I don't know. There's something about it that just annoys me. Well, we should also explain that what they did was they basically bought 660 six pairs of these Nike Air Max and redesigned them. And so the redesign was it included a pentagram, a drop of blood, and then they sold them. Well, they were like $200 sneakers. They then sold them for $1,000 each, of which it sold out in seconds. I'm sure. So now Mischief is being sued by Nike. Which absolutely makes sense. I mean, I... Well, yeah, because I'm sure, like, dumb Christians are already boycotting Nike over these shoes. And also they have a point. Look, as two people who have done merch that skirts the line of intellectual property... (laughs) Right, us? (laughs) We've never gotten a cease and desist before. No, but this this is quite flagrant because even I thought it was an official Nike collab. So did I, and I'm really ashamed that that's something that I believed because when you take a second and think about it, it's like Nike would never. So Nike is suing Mischief for trademark infringement. Makes sense. And then also, this was the quote they gave, in the short time since the announcement of the Satan shoes, Nike has suffered significant harm to its goodwill, including among consumers who believe that Nike is endorsing Satanism. Uh, That's pretty cool. The thing with these shoes is they didn't actually have to produce them. This could have just been a Photoshop mock-up, right? It would have served the same purpose. Well, what's interesting is they did the Jesus shoes and they did the same thing and they actually sold the shoes for like twice as much. I and think. then Nike didn't come after them for that. No, it's the it's odd. So they were emboldened to then go full Satan. I will say all of this moral outrage is kind of comforting in a post-Trump era. The fact that we can get back to such things, such quaint things as like satanic panic mm-hmm. actually comforts me. You know what? We haven't even talked about the song, which... It's fine. It's fine. I don't love the song, but I will concede that it's catchy because the chorus has been in my head all week long. You know what? I also could have used a reference to the film Call Me By Your Name in the video. He could have been sitting under a peach tree. Or Army Hammer could have been Satan, which is perfectly on brand for him with his, his cannibalism drama, you know? (laughs) <laughs> or, well, or Timothy. Like, that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, or Timothy Shalab. Yeah, like anything. He could have been the denim clad guards. I mean, that would have been major. So the other mini drama. I love when a drama gets wrapped up within 24 hours. Is this whole Telfar versus Guess? So Guess, or really uh, Signal Brands, who owns the handbag licensing for Guess, kind of self canceled themselves, which seems to be the new move between Dr. Seuss and. What? Like they just stopped? So what? Because Telfar didn't sue them. Because like, why bother? Exactly. So Signal Brands released a faux leather embossed G bag that bears a very striking resemblance to the Telfar bag. And so interesting. I'm surprised Mischief hasn't already made like a Chanel Telfar bag that looks like this. Anyway, continue. 
once the internet saw it, they got very mad. There was a backlash and Signal Brands decided to pull it from stores. So Telfar didn't even make a statement about this. They never posted a photo. Evidently, Telfar Clemens became aware of the copycat in February, but he didn't say anything, one, because why lose a bunch of money to a lawsuit? And two, he didn't- Yeah, with like the tackiest brand. Like who even wants to be associated with that? And he also didn't see it as a threat, which it's not. The person who's going to buy that guess Bobo Telfar bag probably doesn't know that it's a reference to the Telfar bag. Yes, I don't think the guest shopper has the most refined visual sensibilities. And also those who are on the waiting list for a Telfar bag isn't going to be like, well, I guess I'll just get the guess one. <laughs> Now I kind of want the guest one, though, just for historical purposes. Like, I wonder if they're on eBay. I'm sure they will be. But it's genius, right? Like, we're not particularly fans of narc or cancel culture. But this is... But this is fascinating that you have, like, there's such a cult around those who have a Telfar or love the Telfar bag that they they did the bidding. They shamed Guess into just pulling the bag within a day. Well, yes. I mean, Guess clearly did not understand that it's not about the design of the bag. It's about the community around the bag. It's about the symbolism of the bag within the lexicon of status bags. It's become a meme, you know, in a way that we haven't really seen a bag become before. So they just kind of missed the point entirely. Guess missed the point? <laughs> I know. It, it sucks because Guess is one of those brands that I would love to see Guess thrive. I would love to see Guess have a proper comeback. Like those Drew Barrymore ads from the 90s were incredible. Those Anna Nicole Smith ads. Like this is like advertising that made a significant impact on me growing up. Oh yeah, they were once relevant. If they just went into the archives and redesigned shit from the 90s, which... You know, they recently made an attempt to be relevant. They collaborated with the streetwear brand Pleasures on a rehashing of the Drew Barrymore collection with like denim jackets. Yeah. They also, they have a fire logo. I'm sorry. It's incredible. All they need to do is figure out how to design a good pair of jeans. Same goes for Gap. They just need to figure it out. And it's not happening for whatever reason. Because whenever I see a pair of guest jeans, it's like it has whiskering. It's like from a different time. And there's an interesting Telfar connection with Gap because they almost did a collab with Telfar, but then went with Kanye West. Well, they did do a collab with Telfar, but then they just didn't release it. Is that what happened? Yeah, he fully designed a collection and then it was, I think they didn't pay him. It was, I forget the intricacies of this situation. Honestly, guests should collaborate with Telfar. This is the thing. Telfar should be the creative director of the Gap. If there is any justice or logic in the universe, that's something that would happen. Well, as we understand, this world is unfair. Yeah. Okay, shall we get into the Tina Turner of it all? You are referring to the Tina Turner documentary that debuted on HBO Max recently? Yes, exactly. The biographical documentary, which goes over her entire life, made me realize I did not know almost anything about Tina Turner. Really? Because I fully had the exact opposite response to it. I was like, I literally learned nothing that I didn't already know about Tina Turner. Did you know that Buddhism helped her leave Ike Turner? <sighs> I See, I've seen her on Oprah so many times. Ah, right. I've seen her on Oprah so many times. Between that and watching What's Love Got to Do With It, when it came out, I felt like I had covered most of this ground already. But I love Tina Turner. I have a very vivid, formative experience of discovering Tina Turner, which was when I was 10 years old, there was this 
McDonald's commercial that she was in because they had this insane promo where if you bought an extra value meal for like $5.99, you could get a greatest hit CD from either Tina Turner, Garth Brooks, or Elton John. The commercial actually starred Garth Brooks. I guess we can drop the audio here. Hey, Garth, why'd you get a McDonald's? Oh, man, get this. They got Tina Turner's greatest hits. Elton John's classics, rock sets, latest. Let's go to McDonald's. Yeah. Got Garth Brooks' favorites too. Each full-length CD is five ninety-nine. Cassettes three ninety-nine. When you buy any extra value meal or large sandwich. Did you end up getting? Yes, of course. I made my dad drag me to McDonald's because there's a clip of the "I Don't Want to Fight" music video in this McDonald's commercial. So I made my dad take me to McDonald's to get the CD, and I listened to it constantly. That's my memory of Tina Turner. Is that like early '90s greatest hits? album that I Well, you could only get that at McDonald's. That's the whole thing. There was literally, you couldn't get this album anywhere else. And it had everything. It had the best. It had Private Dancer, all of the bops. Is that the one where she has a black, almost high net bodysuit or dress on the cover? No, it's like, it's an Herb Ritz photo of her in like a white tank top, I think. Yes. Then we must have gone to McDonald's McDonald's. as a child to get that, because I have such a vivid memory of that CD case, like staring back at me as a seven-year-old or eight year old yeah it was iconic so that was kind of my first experience with tina and then when i was in college i had just another round of being obsessed with tina because i was in this weird phase where i was really obsessed with the rolling stones and all of the rolling stones girlfriends so bianca jagger anita pellenberg etc so i watched every single documentary about the Rolling Stones from their peak, of which there are 10,000 of these. The best being Gimme Shelter by the Maisels Brothers, which documents the famous, you know, Rolling Stones concert in Altamont where people got stabbed in the audience. Anyway, before the stabbing happened, a cantina opened for the Rolling Stones during that show. And they sang a cover of the Otis Redding song, I've Been Loving You Too Long. And it's one of the most just incredible live performances I've ever seen in my life. It gives me chills just thinking about it. And that was the first time that I really understood or saw Tina Turner as a rock star, basically. It was it was so, and I was shocked by how blatantly sexual it was too. It's like she's moaning, she's giving the microphone this like A-game hand job. It was just like, it was a vibe. First of all, I didn't realize when I started the documentary how inextricably tied Kurt Loder was to Tina Turner. No, I know. That was such a pleasant surprise. I always love seeing Kurt Loder. Uh, Kurt Loder, who millennial kids will remember from MTV News in the 90s. He co-wrote a biography on Tina in the early 80s that was kind of her way of, of shedding her past and being able to finally be Tina instead of Ike and Tina. But yeah. that only just added gasoline to the fire where people wouldn't stop asking. There's a great clip where she's promoting Thunderdome with a very young Mel Gibson. I didn't recognize it was Mel Gibson at first, who looks so unbelievably awkward as the interviewer's asking her about Ike, who's recently got arrested on cocaine. Oh, that was so awkward. Oh my god. It just truly looks like Mel Gibson wants to melt into the chair. I also took 
a weed gummy last night while I was watching it. And so I got progressively more high as I was watching the documentary. It's a documentary, but then there are about three segments where they just show full songs from concert videos. Yes, it relied very, very heavily on on concert footage. But then I got but I got confused and I was like, did I press something that got me into the <laughs> Tina Turner rock and Rio thing? You're like, went, why am I watching Tina Turner sing a full cover of the Beatles help? Like what's what happened? It was a lot of concert footage. It was a lot of that People magazine journalist who sort of broke the story about Ike Turner being abusive. It was a lot of him talking about the interview. It wasn't a lot. We didn't really hear that much from Tina. We really didn't hear that much from Oprah. Can you imagine scheduling a, a sit down with Oprah and then using her for two minutes of voiceover? Like it's sacrilegious. She's more in the documentary in the B-roll of Tina going to the opening of the Tina musical mm-hmm. accompanied by her husband and Oprah. Yeah. It's the most you see Oprah in that documentary. Yeah. I did love seeing the inside of her houses, though. That was like, that to me was the most revealing of this because you get to see, you. they did these haunting sort of slow pans through. These slow tracking shots through her empty house that she lived in in the 60s, which seemed to with be. Ike, with Ike Turner, which was had fallen into disrepair. It seemed like it was in a in an area in Los Angeles called Truesdale Estates of which they're buying all of these older 1960s homes and and smashing them down. So I can't believe it's still preserved. Yeah. I mean their bedroom was insane. It was a heart-shaped bed, right? But it had a cat-shaped mirror, like a cat head-shaped mirror above the bed or did I just hallucinate that? I also loved seeing her house in Switzerland. I love that she had a framed photo of herself as Cleopatra that's in the Kevin Aquan book. I didn't notice that. I mean, it was very, very brief. But I mean, her life in Switzerland seems chill. Her husband seems bad. Wonderful. I love that she wore black on her wedding day. That's when we also saw Oprah and Gail, I believe. At the wedding. Yeah. Love a person who's with someone for 27 years and then is like, should we get married? I guess we should just get married now. He seemed very cute. And he was very chic too, I thought. And he loves her. Yeah, and he's not a worthless piece of shit like Ike Turner. I mean, I think the biggest takeaway from the documentary is just how far the wrong guy can drag you down. And also, no matter what you achieve as a woman, it always has to be tied to a man's narrative. The last part of the documentary, the last two parts of the documentary, is how tied her legacy, no matter how big she got, was with Ike. One thing that I actually didn't know was sort of how hard she fell out of fashion in between leaving Ike and when she had her big comeback with What's Love Got to Do With It. But also how transgressive it was for her to, I mean, as a middle-aged woman as well, to be like, no, 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 I want to be a rock star. That's how I reinvent myself. She was a rock star. She is. She is a rock star. It's truly. What else should we talk about? One notable fashion show trickled in this week, which was Casey Cadwallader. Is that how you say it? Cada. Cada. Cadwallader. Cada. It seems like the title for a BBC Two period drama or something. Before we get into this, can I just say, going on to Vogue Runway this week, I saw collections that debuted this week encompassed things from spring 2021 couture, fall 2021 ready to wear, and then this Mugler show, which is spring 2021 ready to wear. Well, you did you go on like a desktop? You can't do that. No on a desktop computer. No, you no, have, no. It's app only. 
No, no, no. I'm talking about in the app. I'm telling you, shows that debuted this week range three different seasons. It's a hot mess. So Mugler debuted a very surreal hybrid fashion film runway presentation that featured models walking backwards, models doubling themselves, POV shots of models falling, all in that Matrix fetish thought thing that Casey Cadwallader has become known for. The video was directed by Torso, aka my former colleagues David Toro and Solomon Chase, who are very, very talented. Yeah, they, I mean, they took the format of a fashion show and fucked it up. I loved the CGI. Tonally, it had a very hard edge to it, which I think served the clothing well. But I think the thing I liked about this is that it did resemble a fashion show. I generally don't really like the medium of a fashion film because I feel like it's either ends up being a music video without musicians in it, or it's like a boring short film. And even though Gucci keeps making these short films with like directors I love and actors I love, I still have no interest in watching them. If I want to see a fashion I want to see it in this in this format yeah and I think it was successful in in capturing that and I think what makes it so successful is that it felt like a fashion show you would see in a Ridley Scott film or something Mm -hmm. yeah totally that's the other thing when you watch a full form fashion show which is like 20 minutes you see them just walk on forever well yeah also it was sort of edited so every single model really had their own moment in a way that that doesn't always happen in an actual fashion show. Like someone steals the show. Although I think I think Dominique Jackson from Pose may have stolen the show. It was a gr- or Bella had did obviously. And Alex Weck was there too. Alex Weck was there. It was a great selection of models. I mean, it was amazing. I was talking about this with Maya and Jess last night. It was amazing seeing Omira back again. She's literally never looked hotter. The looks that she were in was in were so fucking cool. It was just, I mean, the casting was exceptional. What did you think of the looks? Because to me, Mugler is one of the few designers out right now relevant to me. It's nothing I would ever wear. But when I look at the the looks that he's putting out, it's like, yeah, this is kind of the moment we're in right now. At any given time, there's always a cool body conscious designer. You know, it's Alaya, it's Christopher Kane, it's that guy that was designing for Ball Man that had a nervous breakdown. And now now it's this guy. But it does feel What is it about body conscious designers and like five thousand dollar jeans? I don't know why they always <laughs> no, feel it's need so to do true. This. I think he's very good at what he does. He's establishing his signature pieces, which are bodycon dresses, also these sheer bodysuits that look like slutty ice skater costumes. And then those jeans that are like half denim, and then it's as if a venom symbiote of black denim from the back is going to the front. Yes, these jeans where it looks like a thong, but it's a full pair of jeans. I can't really explain it any better than that. I think it's great. It's not my personal style, but I appreciate it. Although now that every celebrity has worn the slutty ice skater costumes, I'm just interested to see how much he could evolve that. Although I would argue... We should say slutty goth ice skating bodysuits. They're (laughs) all black. They're not... They haven't always been black. Cardi and Megan Thee Stallion wore bright purple and green ones in the WAP video, for example. All right, when when he does baby blue, then I will concede that they're ice skater suits. Yeah. But I still think Dominic Jackson from Pose looks better in that slutty ice skater outfit 
outfit than any celeb I've seen so far. That was a really fab moment. So this is spring 2021. So I assume he held back the fashion show slash fashion film so that you're seeing it and then it will start being in stores in the next couple of weeks, which is kind of the way to do it with our ADD internet brains. I think this show has made an impact online. I've seen it on Instagram a lot and stuff. Oh, also, I want to note that we talked about the jeans, the bodycon stuff, but this guy has also done more for opera gloves than any designer in like 10,000 years. Like he's made designed amazing ones for for men. There's amazing sheer ones in this in this collection. It's I love it. Oh, also, wanna, we should mention that the team was so good. It was styled by Haley Wallens, who's fantastic. It all came together. Do you know what's also coming together? What? What is this transition? Drew Barrymore has a new lifestyle <laughs> magazine. Where can I buy it, Lauren? Well, <laughs> it's a quarterly magazine that'll be made available June 14th in Walmart and then a week later on newsstands everywhere. Something tells me that this isn't going to have the highly refined art direction of the Goop magazine. Does that still exist, by the way? I'm sure it does not. One thing that I was shocked to learn in the uh, business of fashion exclusive about Drew Barrymore's Walmart magazine was the fact that O Magazine is gone. Yeah, it's a really bold move to be releasing a print magazine, seeing how much print media is struggling. Teen Vogue is an all-digital publication now. As you said, Oprah's O Magazine. I didn't even know. I feel like I just bought it. I feel like I just bought it like last month. Chelsea, like every time we're in a supermarket, her eyes are out for O Magazine. I buy every other O Magazine, or at least I did. But... Yeah, well, now you're going to buy zero. Well, apparently there's going to be some sort of digital publication called Oprah Daily that Hearst is doing with Oprah. I don't know. Anyway, if this magazine is domino with Drew's worldview, I'm in because I've been loving her daytime talk show. It started off very rocky, but now it's a delight. I only saw the Tom Green episode. So but he, if you, I take your word for it. Yeah. So here's what's going to be in her monthly magazine. There'll be Drew's News, which will be full of feel-good stories, people we love, inspiring friends and everyday people, places to go all across the globe, fantastic finds, A-plus lifestyle products. Okay. As a copywriter, I got to say, I feel like we could have done a better job on this. Yeah. Beauty and style, the best products and trends, home and work, the ins and outs of life, Fun and games, crosswords, puzzles, and more. Does O Magazine have crosswords? No. See, that's what's missing from O. Could you imagine a crossword based all around Oprah? But O literally has letter from the editor, Oprah, and then Oprah's closing word. O Magazine also had, I'm really sad about the demise of my favorite part of O Magazine, which is Gail has her own like front of book page called The World According to Gail. And it's like all of Gail's favorite things. I'm sorry, is this about Drew Barrymore's magazine or are you eulogizing <laughs> Oprah's I'm O sorry, Magazine? I'm sorry, I'm eulogizing O Magazine. It had its moments. It did. I mean, the fashion director was yikes, but lots of inspirational content for sure. Do you think like O Magazine, every editorial will have Drew? Probably. I just hope that they don't get the same retoucher that O Magazine had for the covers because O Magazine was just 
full composites. I'm here for Drew Barrymore as the mass market lifestyle goddess. It's in Walmart because she has a relationship with Walmart. Her makeup line, flowers in Walmart. She just released like a home goods line as well. What Chrissy Teigen is- No, for- this sucks. <laughs> like, why do we want this? We don't want this. I want like little girl lost era Drew Barrymore. I don't want this Walmart bullshit. Well, Chelsea, that little girl is lost. <laughs> so that's why she's not here anymore. See, this makes you appreciate a Gwyneth Paltrow. Why? Because Gwyneth Paltrow has a refined eye. So does Kim Kardashian. You're also talking about two of the most polarizing people that people hate for just being rich bitches. <laughs> and true. Drew is trying to yeah, be Yeah, rich opposite. bitches with taste. You can be mass market and have taste. Look, she's going to try to show us and we'll reserve judgments then. I don't know why I'm reserving my usual bitchiness. Is it because we read a review where someone said that we were like Perez Hilton? <laughs> so rude. Yeah, they were like, they're mean. And I was wondering what... That we were mean about. And I was like, is it the Kardashians? Because that's the other thing that people are complaining about in our podcast reviews is our love for the Kardashians. But I kind of think that's who we talk the most shit about, you know? So I'm confused. Wouldn't you like to hear us talk shit about someone you hate? It's confusing. This is obviously someone who clearly didn't watch Fran Leibowitz's Pretend It's a City. Okay, <laughs> we're, we're judgmental. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we're judgmental. We're not bitchy. Well, when you consume a large amount of popular culture, you naturally have developed tastes and preferences and things of that nature. Maybe we're a little bit too blood. Also, you know, our voices are very monotone. And, so that's not helping us. And vocal fry. We we understand. You don't have to leave that review either. We're okay, where? they're talking. They're not talking about you, Lauren. They're talking about me. I think they're me. talking about me. They're not talking about you. They're a thousand percent talking about me. And you know what? I don't want to have a voice that sounds like this. This wasn't a goal for me. I may live in LA now, but I didn't grow up here. I grew up in the fucking woods in, in NorCal. There's no reason for me to sound like this. But for whatever reason, this is just my voice. Also, it may seem as if I'm like bitchy and disinterested, but I'm actually just obsessed with so many things. I'm passionate and loving. We have Kourtney Kardashian syndrome. It's true. And yet we dislike her the most. (laughs) You know why? Because we're so similar. Yeah, exactly. People always like hate on things that represent a facet of their own persona. It's like Republican congressmen and senators that strike down LGBTQ laws and then they're always caught in gay scandals themselves. Yes, our vocal fry is just like that, Lauren. (laughs) Just like that. Is it time for Kardashians? Yeah, let's do it. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. So this week, Lauren gave me a beautiful gift, which was a pair of pajamas and a robe from Kim's Jacquard collection for Skims. It's actually like more luxurious than I thought it would be. You got pajamas too. What did you think? I got the triangle bralette top. I also got a long sleeve top and I got the shorts, which I have to exchange for a smaller size. I will say, and I'm not the first one to comment this about skims, is the sizing is all over the place. I saw you yesterday. I had a skim shirt that was skin tight that was a small. Their sizes go down to extra, extra small. I have shapewear pieces that are medium that are too tight on me. Well, okay, I got the pajamas in large because I like a baggy, I like a baggy big pajama. Like for me, that's the vibe. But I'm convinced that Tristan Thompson was the fit model for the Jacquard collection because I've never seen such long pants. The robe like grazes the floor. I'm legit gonna have to get the pants hemmed, but whatever, worth it. 
and I know you truly love them because your wife texted me and said, in the span of three minutes, Chelsea said, it's so gratifying to have nice pajamas. <laughs> I didn't realize how much joy these sparked. I've always... <laughs> oh, fuck you for reading this. I've always just had flannel pajama pants with penguins on them. Now I have a full look. I feel like an old Hollywood star. I also kind of feel like Robert Evans or something in some fabulous pajama ensemble. No, it's like they're more luxe than, than I anticipated. So this is a Lauren and Chelsea approved product? Yeah, for sure. Now that we've talked about our Skims pajamas... We can delve into another Kardashian product, which is Travis... Kardashian adjacent. Kardashian adjacent, which is Travis Scott. So baby daddy of Kylie, daddy of Stormy's new line of agave spiked seltzer called Cacti. It looks like a fucking energy drink. It does look like an energy drink. You've gotten three flavors. There are three glasses in front of each of us. I assume you're making us do a taste test. Also, it's 11.16 a.m., so this is about to get dark. Yeah, we're doing a taste test. So first I want to say that even though this says spiked seltzer, this is not spiked with vodka or hard liquor. This is very much a malt liquor beverage, as is White Claw. Because apparently the second you put hard liquor in a can, the tax is like so insane, which is why all of those hipster like Moscow mule in a can drinks cost $6 each. The more you know. Exactly. Okay, so shall we try, what do we want to start with? Pineapple? Yeah, I say that we, since we have three Kardashian stories, let's try one per each story. Okay, so this is going to be pineapple. pineapple. Oh, God. Oh. Oh, it's worse than I thought. It's worse than, it's worse than I thought. It, oh, it, it tastes like if you put a bunch oh. of, oh my God. Why did you take another I sip? Because I was like, I wanted to give it a fair chance. You're crying. No, I know I am. I'm literally <laughs> crying. This is just, okay. It well, tastes, it tastes like if you put a bunch of pineapple gummy bears into water and then tried to drink it. I was going to say, and then like left it there for days until yeah. the sort of bag, plastic bag disintegrated into the, into the water. That tastes like. You can taste the cancer. Well, also we really should be drinking this out of a can, like drinking a beverage like this out of a glass is only like highlights how disgusting it actually is. Okay. All right. Would you like to talk about how Kim posted a Bridgerton clip with Taylor Swift songs on her stories? Yeah. So people on Twitter are talking because Kim posted a clip of Bridgerton with the Taylor, an instrumental version of the Taylor Swift song, Wildest Dreams playing in the background. Which was a conscious thought process, right? She's watching Bridgerton and she's like, I'm going to post about this. What is a song that matches? So she had to search for Taylor Swift's Wildest Dreams instrumental. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. It was in the show. Oh, Bridgerton right. is like um, fucking Westworld. Oh, that's right. They do the thing where they take a pop song and then do a string arrangement of it. Yeah, it was so not deliberate. I mean, I think that Kim just posted a scene from Bridgerton. But see, the thing is, is that if if the situation was reversed and Taylor Swift was posting a scene from Bridgerton with a Kanye song, that would be deliberate. Or if Taylor posted a clip of Keeping Up with the Kardashians to one of her songs. Yeah, well, I'm just saying that with Taylor, everything is deliberate. She thrives on Easter eggs. Her fans thrive on Easter eggs. But the Kardashians aren't really like that. So it's natural that Taylor Swift fans would see this and read into it because they're like borderline conspiracy theorists. Oh, I was going to say, Taylor Swift fans are like QAnon. Yeah. TNON. 
Although, to be fair, I am on Taylor's side of the Kim and Kanye feud. I'm also kind of team no one. Like, when she, when stuff gets that bad and toxic, I feel like each person has had a role to play to make it that way. Yeah, but I also feel like a Kim-Taylor reconciliation is imminent. Would you die if they did a joint Oprah interview? I mean, I, I just want Oprah to do a Kardashians interview. You've said. Did I say that on the pod already? You did. Yeah, I like think about it on a weekly basis. I feel like you're just delaying us from trying the next flavor. Okay. Uh, which is, what do we want to do? Strawberry or lime? Lime. Okay. okay. It's better than pineapple. It's better. It doesn't, that doesn't say much, but it's definitely better than pineapple. Pineapple is, ooh. Why are you taking another sip? I just want to make sure that I'm giving it a fair shot. What's our next Kardashian story? Oh, so on Keeping Up with the Kardashians last week, the show did address Kanye's tweet storm. Did they? But not really. Yeah. I mean, it was mostly just Kim being like, Kanye's been saying some things on Twitter. Which I think is foreshadowing how they're going to deal with the demise of her marriage. They say they're going to talk about it, but something tells me it's going to be in this sort of way. of We're having problems or we're transitioning into different parts of our lives. I don't think it's going to get into the, the nitty gritty. Yeah, I mean, the most revealing part of the episode was Courtney revealed that Kanye had called her during the week of his, his tweet storm. And to refresh everyone's memory, this is like the Chris Jung-un, I'm in Get Out. This was at that point. And Courtney basically said, you know, I just wish you'd said this stuff privately so it's like okay so did you want him to call Chris Jenner Chris Jong-un to her face or Kanye was raised correctly he knows that you're supposed to say that stuff publicly on Twitter not to <laughs> someone's face totally okay all right the last one strawberry, strawberry. cheers cheers mm. it smells so bad it's worse than lime but it's better than pineapple right yeah, and when I said it smelled bad, what I meant was as I was putting it to my mouth, I could smell so strongly that fake strawberry like candy smell. It's like a Victoria's Secret body splash in a can. As a hard seltzer. Or like a lip smacker. It, yeah, if you've ever wanted a Bath and Body Works lotion as a hard seltzer, this is for you. <laughs> All right, the, the last story is that a different Travis, Travis Barker, who's dating Courtney Yeah, we have Kardashian. to distinguish between the Travises, I just realized. Because I think we, on the last episode, I think we've talked about Travis Barker just by his name, Travis. So I guess we have to do full names, right? Travis Barker, who recently got a tattoo that read, you're so cool, to which Courtney responded, you're so cool, which led... What do you mean responded? When he posted it on Instagram, that was her comment, was oh, okay. the, the phrase back, which led people to wonder if the tattoo was in Courtney's writing, if it was a little love message between the two. And all I can say is, I guess Gen Z is not as obsessed with the film True Romance <laughs> as millennials are, because... Clearly any not. Because any Tumblr millennial can tell you that that is the iconic line from Quentin Tarantino's True Romance, of which Patricia Arquette writes on a napkin, you're so cool, and gives it to Christian Slater. Romantic. I find it funny that people think that the True Romance-related tattoo is somehow tied to Travis's new relationship with Courtney because he and his previous wife, Shayna Mochler, have had an obsession with True Romance to the point where they named their daughter Alabama for the Patricia Arquette character Alabama Worley. Oh, wow. 
That's gnarly. I'm more surprised that he didn't all as a man who has literally from head to toe tattoo didn't already have a you're so cool tattoo yeah because what what other tattoo would you get from true romance i guess the one that alabama and clarence get the okay. cherubs to be fair i literally have not watched this movie since it came out basically in 1993 that's when you first saw it okay well possibly honest maybe 1998 let's say uh i'm obviously someone who in my early 20s was obsessed with that film I, I hope Courtney starts getting some tats soon, you know? Does she have any? I don't think so. She's really, like, not into the body modification and stuff, like the rest of the fam. Good for her. That's not the poosh way. Okay, we've clearly come to the end of Kardashian stuff. What's our final verdict on the cacti seltzer? Uh, I'm never drinking it again, but if you like a white claw, then you might as well try it. Why yeah. not? Just just don't don't try the pineapple. Yeah, if you're looking for a White Claw that has the look of like a monster energy drink, this is for you. Yeah. All right, on that note. Lauren, don't worry. Our our safely surface cleaner is in the mail. So hopefully next week we, we can talk about that. As is our Kendall XKKW beauty perfume. Okay, this is sick. We are like actually the Kardashians pay pigs at this point. Well, we're going to think about that and we'll see you next week. <laughs> okay. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.